0: Um, one of the things that we do have um, at South Valley is we have a, a, a number of brothers, a, aside from our our resident preacher, Brother Bruce Eubank, um, we have a number of brothers who are, who are capable of teaching. Um, and in fact, the Sunday morning Bible study has been led uh, for the last several months by Brother Preston Martin. Um, Preston has been leading us in a study specifically of the particulars of the law of, of, of Moses, and we've, we've spent a lot of time examining the scriptures, talking about the tabernacle and all of the furnishings of the tabernacle and the sacrifices and so forth that were offered in the tabernacle, and of course looking for parallels, largely through the book of Hebrews, to things that relate to us living in the time of Christ, but... One of the things that we talked about recently was the, was the various offerings in the, in the tabernacle worship. And one of those offerings, uh, if you've read that portion of Scripture, is a drink offering that was, was poured out on the altar uh, for particular kinds of offenses that needed to be atoned for. And something about that. That idea of a drink offering stuck in my mind because it related to something that the Apostle Paul had written in Philippians chapter 2. And that resonated with me in such a way that, that it sort of spawned the, the, the study that we're going to present this morning. Which is about, as, as we've been singing in the songs that Nathaniel has selected for us this morning, is really very, very much about the concept of service. Paul, in writing to the church at Philippi, is writing to a church that he knows very well. It's clear from the language that he uses that he's writing to people that are not strangers. He's writing to people that he knows very well, that he knows many of them intimately, that many of them are very close friends of his. And this is a church that has actively supported Paul in his evangelism work, that they have provided the means and the resources that have enabled him to continue to carry out his work in the various places that he's traveled to. And it's interesting in that Paul is writing to people that he knows really well. When you know people really well, you kind of know what they need to hear. And he spends most of the Philippian letter encouraging those to whom he's writing Toward Christ like living. Not because the folks in Philippi were not living in a Christ like manner, but because Paul knows the temptation that exists if you're trying to live like Christ to be led in other directions, to to fall under the sway of other influences, or to succumb to the inward desires that all of us have that that are in combat and conflict with the desire that we have to live as Christ lived. And so Paul spends most of this letter encouraging this very servant-minded body of Christians to be even more servant-minded. And at the beginning of the second chapter of Philippians, you may remember that he talks about the example of Jesus giving himself as a sacrifice, setting aside the, 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 the glories and the powers of Godhood in order to take on the form of a servant, the body and flesh of a human being in order that he could sacrifice that on behalf of all of us, providing the greatest example of service, And so having talked about that, Paul, beginning in the 12th verse of that second chapter of Philippians, starts getting into now the direction that he wants to push that thought toward the reader. He says, therefore, my dear friends, remember that word therefore, whenever we see that, it's a word that means because I just said this, this is now true. That's what therefore is. Because I just said this, now hear this. So Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So Paul now has said, now because I've just talked about the sacrifice and the example of Christ, here's what you now need to do. You're already obeying, not only when I'm there to look at you, but also when I'm not there. You're doing a good job of that. But now you need to continue, Paul says, to work out your salvation. And a lot of times when people read those words... They think Paul is saying that we are saving ourselves by means of our works. That is not what Paul is saying. When Paul says, work out your salvation, he means demonstrate your salvation by the work that you do. He is saying, prove that you are being saved by the fact that your actions are the actions of a person in the process Of salvation. And do so, he says, with fear and trembling, because none of us are all that far from that unsaved state where we started out. And we could just easily end up back there if we don't continue on the right path. So Paul says, continue to work, continue to do the things that demonstrate your salvation. Not because it's about you, he says, but because God works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. All the good things you do are not about you. The good things you do are about God working through you. But your responsibility is to let God do that. Because he's not going to force you. God did not create robots in the service of Christ. He doesn't grab any of us by the back of the neck and say, you will serve me. We have to choose to allow him to work through us. And that was what was happening in Philippi. But Paul says, you got to keep on doing that. You can't look at what you've already done and say, hey, we're cool now. We've done enough. You have to continue to do the work that demonstrates your salvation and continue to allow God to work through you to fulfill his purpose. But he also says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation yes there's a lot of work to do but don't do it with a frown on your face don't do it like oh man we gotta do all of this stuff for God that is not the attitude to bring to the table your attitude does matter do everything without grumbling or arguing he says that's how you demonstrate yourselves To be children of God in the midst of a warped and crooked generation. Because everybody else out there has plenty to complain about. We'll find plenty of things to complain about and to argue about and to be in conflict over. Don't be that. Be people that go about your working of your salvation without... Complaint, without argument, because that's how you show yourselves to be children of God. Then, he says, you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. If you're out there living a joyful servant life, that's how you're different from the rest of the world that's got this why me attitude that's got this everybody's against me attitude. Don't be that, Paul says. Be the people that shine in the midst of this warped and crooked generation. And specifically to the church in Philippi, he says, then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. In other words, if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing then it shows that my efforts in teaching and instructing and encouraging you didn't go to waste. That all of the things that I put toward you were worthwhile because you've taken them and you've run with them. So our attitude does matter in terms of the way that we serve. But here's the key. Here's, the, here's the, sort of the linchpin of all of the things that Paul is saying. Verse 17, he says, But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. See, one of the things that was unique about the the drink offering amongst all the different offerings that they made first in the tabernacle, later in the temple, is that the drink offering destroyed that which was offered. You know, the various burnt offerings and sacrifices, most of the time the priests, after the offering was cooked, as it were, were allowed to take that meat and eat it, them and their families. That was how they were sustained. But the drink offering, when the wine was poured out on the, on the burning altar, nobody was going to drink that wine because it was, it was burned off as the, as the offering burned. So to be poured out like a drink offering is literally to be the kind of offering where at the end of the offering there's nothing left. And that's what Paul is saying of himself. Even if I am so poured out in service that there is nothing left of me at the end. He says, I'm glad and I rejoice. And you should be glad and rejoice along with me. That was the heart of the servant that was Paul he saw his service as something that even if it completely used him up in the end and spoiler alert it would even if it used him up in the end paul was saying i am glad and rejoice i'm not grumbling about the fact that I'm having to devote my life to the service of Christ. I'm not arguing with God because He has placed this charge upon me. I am glad and rejoice in having the opportunity to be the kind of servant who gets used up by His service. And He says, and I want you to be those kinds of servants and so, in order to demonstrate why this is important, Paul is about to use two examples. Because it's one thing to point at yourself and say, look at me, the kind of servant I am. Paul knows that that's, you know, that that's sort of a self-defeating uh, approach to things, because there, there are always going to be those people who say, yeah, the, Paul thinks a lot of himself. So instead, Paul points to two others that he's going to use to demonstrate the kind of service that is this being poured out so completely in service that it's like a drink offering, that you're used up by the service. And the first example he uses is Timothy. Beginning of verse 19, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy Has proved himself, because as a son with a father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Notice the things that Paul tells us about Timothy as a servant. Number one, he says, I have no one else like Timothy. Timothy delivered uncommon service. Timothy didn't look around at everybody else and say, well, what are they doing? I'll just do that. What is everybody else doing? I'll just do that much. Paul said, I don't have anybody else like Timothy. Timothy is unique in his willingness to serve. The service that Timothy provides is not common service. It is unlike the service of others. And in what way? Because he shows genuine concern for others. A word genuine is not there by accident. It is easy oftentimes for us to show concern for people on the outside. It's easy for us to be the kind of people that look like we care about other people without really doing an awful lot for other people. Timothy was not that kind of person. Paul said he shows genuine concern for others. When Timothy cared about you, Timothy proved that he cared about you by the things that he did to and for your benefit. Because Paul said everybody else looks out for their own interests. And not the interests of Christ. And so, in context, what he's saying of Timothy, is Timothy's not that way. Timothy's unlike everybody else because he looks out for the interests of other people. And in so doing, he demonstrates his interest in the things of Christ. Everybody else. Could find ways and, and times and opportunities to say, I'm going I'm to do for me right now. But Paul is saying of Timothy, that's not Timothy. Timothy is always looking for ways that he can do for somebody else, that he can serve someone else, that he can care for someone else. That he can provide for the needs of someone else. And in so doing, Timothy is showing the heart and the spirit of Christ. Who did not see for himself the opportunity to cling to the things of Godhood. As Paul had said early in the chapter, but instead set those things aside and took on the form of a servant in order that he could sacrifice himself even to death on the cross. Timothy was that kind of servant. And that's why Paul said, I don't have anybody else that's like him. Timothy proved himself in service. It's one thing to talk about being a servant. It's entirely another thing to prove oneself as a servant. And Paul said that's what Timothy did. He proved that he had the heart and the spirit and the soul of a servant. Paul said he served with me like a true child. And in that, Paul is saying that you know, as though he were my own son... But by extension, he's really saying, Timothy demonstrates service like one who knows who his real father is. And who does the things that his father wants done. Even as Christ, the only begotten Son, demonstrated always his willingness to do the will of the Father, regardless of what it cost him to do it. Even, as Paul had said earlier in the chapter, even death on the cross. Timothy was that kind of servant. And Paul holds Timothy up as an example for those in Philippi to look at to say, I know you think you're serving well. And you are, but look at what Timothy is. Look at how Timothy is living. See how Timothy cares for others, not just with his words, but with his actions. In a way that demonstrates the spirit of Christ. But Paul had another example. Aside from Timothy. In verse 25 he says, but I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who also is your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill, and indeed he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help that you yourselves could not give me. What do we see in the example of Epaphroditus? First of all, we see Paul uses three terms to describe Epaphroditus. First of all, he calls him a brother. Epaphroditus was not just a friend. He was not just a fellow laborer. To Paul, Epaphroditus was family. And the things that motivated Epaphroditus to do what Epaphroditus did was the fact that he embraced That familial relationship, both with Paul, in serving Paul's needs, but also with the Christians in Philippi. Because, as Paul says, he is your messenger. You sent him here to do this. You sent him here to help me and to help take care of me. And he did it, not like somebody that got hired to do it, Not like a a person who is a, 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 a contracted worker in personal care, but as a brother. Like a member of my family, Paul is saying, Epaphroditus came and cared for me on your behalf. But also, he was a co-worker even as he was there as Paul's brother to embrace him and care for him, there was work that had to be done. And Epaphroditus didn't just focus on the needs that Paul had, but Epaphroditus looked at what Paul was trying to accomplish and said, how can I help with that? What can I do along with you, Paul, in helping to spread the gospel where we are. So he didn't just see his role as one who had been sent to help take care of Paul, who apparently needed physical care at that time, but also took it a step further to say, Paul's got work to do, how do I do it along with him? So that that work might advance. He was a co-worker. And thirdly, Paul says that Epaphroditus was a fellow soldier. Epaphroditus was down for the fight. Epaphroditus was not standing on the sidelines as the battle raged. Epaphroditus was in the middle of the action. Dodging the bullets. Watching the bombs sail over his head, and continuing to charge on, in the face of opposition, he wasn't just there with a bumper sticker on the back of his truck saying "I support the troops." And Paphroditus was the troops. He was in the battle. Right there alongside Paul. A brother, a co-worker, and a fellow soldier. Serving in all three of those capacities. When he came to be with Paul. And he brought with him a righteous message. Paul says of of Epaphroditus to the, the church at Philippi, He's your messenger. You sent him here with a message. Paul, we care about you and we want you to have what you need. And Epaphroditus didn't just carry the message. Didn't just bring a scroll and say, Here, Paul, here's a note from Philippi. I'm out of here. He stayed and carried out the message. The saints at Philippi had said, Brother Paul, we know you need help. Epaphroditus didn't just come to say, Hey, back in Philippi, we know you need help. He came to be the help. He came to deliver the help that Paul needed. He was their messenger, not just in word, but in action. And he fulfilled his service even in hardship. Paul said, the reason I want to send Epaphroditus back to you is not because I don't need him. I do need him, but I want you to see for yourselves, he's okay. Because I know you all heard he was really sick. And I could write in my letter, Epaphroditus is better. But you're all going to be thinking, is Paul just, is he not giving us the full story? You know, is he just giving us the good news and not the bad news? Regarding Epaphroditus? No, Paul saying, I need to send him back to you so you can see with your own eyes that he's gotten better. I know you need that. I need him here, but even more, you need to see him. Because I know you're all very worried about him. Because you heard he was sick. <clears throat> and Paul said, not only was he sick, he almost died. And I want you to see, with that knowledge, that he's now okay. Because I know that you've heard that. But even in the midst of that depth of illness, Epaphroditus carried on. He could have said, Paul, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing kind of poorly. I need to get back home. Be with my people, my family, who can take care of me. He didn't do that. Even though it almost cost him his own life to be there to care for Paul when Paul needed help, Epaphroditus didn't give up and he didn't give in. He was willing to sacrifice even his own life in the service of Christ. And he found opportunities to build up the service of others, even as he himself was struggling physically. Look at the glowing words of Paul. We can see in what Paul writes about Epaphroditus, how much Paul loved him. How greatly Paul appreciated everything that he had done and was doing. It wasn't just that Epaphroditus was serving the Lord himself, but he was also helping Paul serve. Even though he was sick almost to the point of death, he found even in that sickness an opportunity to build up the service of his brother and his co-worker and his fellow soldier, Paul. That's what it meant to Epaphroditus to serve like Christ. So what I want to ask this morning, I want to ask it of myself. And I hope that each of you will ask yourselves along with me. What kind of servant am I? What kind of servant am I really? Am I a willing servant? Am I one who doesn't serve because I feel like I have to, but because I embrace the opportunity, knowing that whatever I contribute to the Lord's work advances the cause of Christ? Do I have the generous heart of a servant and not one who grumbles and complains every time I'm asked to do something or every time I'm called upon to serve? Do I serve eagerly rather than grudgingly? do I view my service to others as an offering to God? Paul said he was willing to be poured out like a drink offering. Is that how I see my service to others? As being poured out like an offering? That whatever I give of myself is an offering to God. Am I like Timothy and show uncommon and genuine concern for others? Would Paul be able to say of me, I don't have anybody like him because he really cares about people. Could that be said of me? Am I like Timothy? Do I prove myself? In service. As a true child of God. Do I. Like Epaphroditus did. Support other Christians. As family. As a brother would. Do I support other Christians as a coworker? I see what you're doing. How can I help you do it? Do I support other Christians as a fellow soldier? I see you, brother. I see you, sister. In the middle of the fight, let me stand shoulder to shoulder with you and let's fight together for the cause of Christ. And am I, like Epaphroditus, willing to serve regardless of the cost to myself? Do I weigh every opportunity to serve as well? What do I have to do to do that? Because that was not the servant Epaphroditus was. Epaphroditus was willing even to sacrifice his life in order to carry out his service to Paul. Am I that kind of servant? It's easy for us to come on a Sunday morning and sing songs like the ones Nathaniel chose for us this morning and to sing about being a servant of the Lord and then get up out of the chairs and go about the rest of our week and not really serve anybody. Let's not be those people. We serve A servant. Christ said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. We are servants of the great servant. And we have to have that same heart, that same spirit, that same character that he demonstrated. In that he didn't cling to the glories of heaven and say, now nah, I'm just going to sit up here where everything's all good and just let them figure it out. But instead, he set those things aside. He took on the flesh of a servant for no, no other purpose than so that He could lay it down on the cross in the greatest act of service ever performed. We are servants of that great servant. And we have to have that kind of heart. May it be God's will, we are never going to be asked to be nailed to a cross. May it be God's will we'll never be asked as Paul was to sit in prison with a myriad of health problems trying to get the Lord's work done. May it be God's will that we never have to go like Timothy and Epaphroditus into a prison to help God's servant do his work. And may it be God's will that we never, like Epaphroditus, have to almost die in order to do it. But we should be willing. We should have a heart that says, if that's what it takes, Lord, I'll do it. If that's where you need me to go, I'll go. If that's what you need me to do, I'll do it. That's the reason these examples are here, not just interesting stories that we can read and talk about, but they are examples for us to follow, even as Christ Himself gave us the greatest example in giving the all of Himself in order to serve us, who didn't deserve that service but who are its grateful recipients. Think about that as you go about your week this week. Think about how I can be a better servant. Because I may very well be like those folks in Philippi, looking at myself and thinking, well, I'm already doing a lot. And indeed they were, but Paul says, I need to write to you to make sure you keep on doing it. And that you do more and more because the temptation is always there to quit or to do less or to miss the opportunities. But let's be those people who always seek to serve because when we serve one another, when we serve the people around us, we serve the greatest servant of all who gave his life to serve us.